It's Wednesday, August 18th. You're listening to the Tech Breakfast Podcast, the show that brings you delicious tech news and all the hot takes you can handle with Tyler Gates, Russ Cantwell, and Aaron Bewley. And on the show with us today is one of my favorite guests. The relationship that we've created with this gentleman uh, has gone beyond just the show, but one of my favorite people to talk to, uh, Curtis Bunker. Welcome to the show. How's it going? Great, man. Good afternoon. Welcome back, man. Thank you. Good. Glad to be here. You. Wait a minute. You so always... we're doing the show right now. I thought that we were whoa, about whoa, to whoa. play Splitgate. <laughs> That's next. Splitgate's Split next. I was also, welcome I just, to the show. I just Russ just showed and, up and realized that, that we're actually doing the show. That's fine. We can do the show too. That'll work. We do it at the same time. Are you going to stream Splitgate while we record Tech Breakfast? I don't. I could. I have that. I would actually still. say that I could probably half okay do that regularly. But when Curtis is on, I need like at least 20% more of my brain or he always goes all the well, both really. <laughs> I mean, let's, let's be honest. I'm slowed down today. <laughs> a little bit slower uh, today. <laughs> yeah. So Russ brought it up. If y'all haven't played split gate on steam, do it. It just caused me to order a new system. So I've got an alienware on the way just so I can get me some more. Wow. Just, just so, just so we're clear. Bewley says that like, that's not a yeah. good thing. That's opportunity. That is a good thing. Like when people are like, oh, no, my graphics card broke. You're welcome. You get a new one now. <laughs> like, this is a good thing. So I, I love it because we, we played the other night and Aaron's like, anytime I get close to an enemy, the entire game comes to a screeching halt. And I was yes. like, are you still <laughs> pretending like your dedicated GPU? I've got big old bunny ear air quotes going on here in your laptop is sufficient for this. And he was like, mm. <laughs> yeah, it's a it's a it's a three and a half year old laptop. Anyway, yeah, whatever. We don't need to go down that. <laughs> yes, I I'll take all the wreckage here. Well, well wait, we got to say okay. one thing though, because Russ uh-huh. aptly described it, Splitgate, and then we're done with this conversation. Is okay. basically Halo and Portal smashed together. And if that doesn't get you excited, then well, don't play it. But it should. So do. <laughs> yeah, but if you listen to this show, chances are Splitgate will be something that you love. Yeah, it's legit. It's too much fun. Too much fun. Okay. We're going to skip today in tech history because we're probably going to talk through a lot of whole, a lot of this other stuff with Curtis. But uh, Curtis, what did you you wanted to start with? Uh, you were talking about modern data science tools in the pre-show. Uh, I'm curious yeah. what you're thinking around that. Yeah, I think it's been an exciting, well, it's been an exciting year, last couple of months, and then just in the last week or two um, around public announcement and and public consumption of most what I would call data science uh, STEAM tools that um, we're currently using a lot for graphic novels, using GPT-3 as a, you know, a back-end engine to a simple app phone to generate the majority of our comic scripts. And we're waiting for Dolly. Uh, Dolly is an image. So the first one is your natural language processing. I think, I think it would be unfair to just call it that. It's a transformer, yeah. right? GPT-3 is a transformer, and there are many that are coming out. We've got new news as well around like China releasing one that's a lot larger from a transformer set than Ooh. another person leapfrogged. So the general world of transformers is is really heating up. And I know I go all over the place, but my brain's like zeroed in on this just, just now. Uh, the HAI labs at Stanford, Human AI Labs, is announcing a I think they called it a workshop. Yeah, it's two days. Uh, I don't know how Ooh. interactive for outside people. But it's the foundations. I think they're calling it the foundations. Um, And it goes into transformers. It goes into these super transformational technologies that we may be headed for exponential change with. And Fei-Fei Li and Eric Benjolson and 
all these great people over there at the at the you know the labs over there are participating with. I think if I recall, it was like hundreds of scientists, ethicists, economists, or I mean, economists. Sorry. Um, I, I love- so. Oh well, you have a you have a whole um, contact list in your head of people that you you always drop as if I should know who they are. <laughs> I know, and I'm I, like furiously typing notes. <laughs> yes, because exactly. they're so exciting to me, and they're so to to me in a in a world of trying to communicate a lot in social media. Yeah, it's super discouraging to me. It, it it's one of the few things that really boils my blood that you can have people of their caliber contributing to humanity. And got to carefully word this because I'm not saying they're like invisible or anything like that. I'm just saying it's disgusting to scroll through, you know, and find out Ninja is talking about, you know, some new Pokemon game. And I love the guy, right? Let's bring, <laughs> you know, some good manners to, to gaming. But, you know, like the next thing I get is the Gina Davis Institute, who just ran a thing on basically explaining what the man box is and how masculinity is affecting gaming and all these different companies coming forward to basically heal that industry. Right. So mm. like, and it has like three likes. So that I'm on a tangent. All right. No, it, the world always tends to operate that way. Right. The, the easiest, simplest stuff is going to get all the attention, right. Just the, like the mindless entertainment, but the stuff that changes the world is going to be happening. Um, but I mean, basically right in front of people's faces, but it's so transformational that people don't quite get it. So speaking of the word yeah. transformational, you kept saying the word transformers. Now, all I'm thinking about is uh, you know, the, <laughs> the uh, film series disguise. or whatever. Yeah, robots. robots what, did, what did you mean by disguise. that? Well, um, you know, I, I struggle to find great definition. That's why I pushed it off on you guys around the metaverse. Like on the spot, I don't. I, I pace while I talk. I'm in my yard right now, looking at the mountains, and so I don't keep lists in front of me. So to, to eloquently, I don't like words, guys. I don't mash them <laughs> together well. No, it's I don't fine. mash it's them good. together well. But you're taking a huge NLP um, framework and basically taking human language. Uh, yeah, no, I'm not going to try. I would encourage okay. everyone that's listening right now to go look up transformer technology. You're going to you're going to get a lot of articles around China. I think what was the other lab that recently released one that was just astounding in size. Um, anyway, the point is, if you look at the headlines, you're going to have a lot of journalists and other people that are much better technical translators than me. And I'd go that route. <laughs> okay. So but so you say NLP. So for our listeners, that's natural language processing. Natural language processing. Right? Yeah. In yeah. machine learning. Same thing. So, so let me do the trick. human side. Ah. Uh, here's the human side. I open okay. up a portal, shortlyread.ai. My kids start ex- getting excited. We run to the garage. We whip open our, our Dell computer. <laughs> uh, you know, we bring up shortlyread.ai. We log in. We have a thousand, no, a hundred words on the left-hand side. Simple UI. We type in what we're trying to do to train the GPT transformer, right? I always put a title up top. And then I usually start with two to five sentences, letting it know where we're going with things. And a lot of what I do is fan fiction. So when I start getting really specific around Metroid and Predator and, you know, things like that, all the comic scripts that we've created, a lot of them introducing autistic characters and my kids fun ideas, but the neurodiversity GPT-3 gets that really well. And it gets the fan fiction side really well. Like, you know, there's a lot of religion around fan fiction. So I'm surprised sometimes it doesn't go, you know, into some controversial area, but it knows the internet, right? If you will, its data set is massive 
and it's really good at generating content. We then take that and send it to a uh, script writer, professional script writer, um, because the next phase is illustration. And this is where I would take in uh, Dolly. And during the phase where I'm getting the final scripts back from the ghostwriters, keeping that human interaction part going, like a lot of these guys are using Cobotics to interact with the AI to generate creative uh, writing as well. I ask them to kind of participate with us and just ask GPT three questions. Like if Samus did this, blah, blah, blah. And you'd be surprised with the answers that come back. And then you're like, oh, that's a good concept. I'll integrate that into the script for Kurt. Okay. Then basically during that, that phase. Right. That's really cool. I'm almost done. Sorry. Uh, then we no, get the concept go. art going. And during that phase, the concept artists, um, I think, is where we're going to integrate Dolly. We're not going to replace them. We're going to start generating early concept art ideas straight from our brains through NLP talks, if you will, through, you know, the natural language processing to create imagery and basically do concept art for us. So we're really excited about that being mainstreamed as a tool. So yeah, kind of those are two yeah, of the tools. And, fascinating. And then you got okay. a comic. You know? yeah, so, and so, so I'm reading into this a little bit too, yeah, from a transformer perspective, right? So if you go to Wikipedia, look at that, it basically a transformer is a deep learning module. And this is just directly from, from Wikipedia that adopts the mechanism of attention and it differently weighs the significance of input data. So what, what I'm gathering is that unlike other, I guess, previous models, neural networks, what, what transformers can do is they can, they can take um, sentence meaning so, so that that's sort of that natural language processing, but they don't have to process it in order, which lends itself to more massive parallelism and it, it can really process language from anywhere in context, uh, which is obviously very powerful because you can distribute that differently. You can train models probably more extensively too. So it really does see, it seems like a sea change in the ability to better train something like an NLP uh, neural network to provide more valuable results faster with a larger body of data. And I probably butchered that in some way. This is just what I'm gathering from what I'm reading now. That was great. That was great. So, you know, having worked with uh, trying to turn these concepts into individual five-minute scripts for animation, our original partnership was with After School, but we might be using Hit Record, uh, Joseph Gordon-Levitt's platform. My wife's actually on a call right now, the community manager, getting that up and going, trying to create a community around, you know, um, voice and voice actors and, and uh, animators and script writers and things to take these concepts forward. So long story short, just the word neural network is a five minute whiteboard explainer for, for sure. kids. Just the word deep learning. And I think that's why I pulled back because yeah. whenever I do this with people, I feel like the worst uh, buzzword <laughs> kind of guy. Like I feel like I'm up in front of a pre-sales meeting dropping acronyms yeah. or something yeah, yeah. and so it gets people sure. angry at you and I'm trying to soften it. <laughs> I'm trying to really soften <laughs> well, it, these things. It's right? like somebody oh, no asking angry. you to yeah. LS5 GPT-3. Explain it to me like I'm a five-year-old. You, you can't. There's yeah. no like two-sentence structure that isn't going to be fraught with peril when it comes yeah. to, like you said, Challenge just buzzword accepted. bingo almost. Challenge accepted. <laughs> can't say neural, can't say network, can't say compute, can't say parallel. <laughs> you give me all the rules you want. I'm just going to break them. <laughs> five-year-old yeah. i have a five-year-old you can test it i actually know how i respond too I like and that would be cool to be able to you know get the ideas from kids as young as five i'm working i'm not an organized 
kind of person uh, when it comes to bringing the ideas into a framework, but I'm trying to, by next year's school year, find grant funding to be able to go into a classroom, uh, blast ideas with the kids, take all their fan fiction ideas, bring them together on a whiteboard, have them think at home about a sentence or two about what they want from the story, come back in the next class meeting a week or two later, and basically uh, create concept art with a live artist on the other side, right? Every, every room mostly has a whiteboard or at least a projector or something where you at least can get a voice interaction with a, with a real-time update. And basically quick sketch everybody's concept art out and then mash it into a script with GPT-3 and then make it that classroom's, you know, like yearbook or whatever. That kind of fun stuff, right? There's a lot of great ideas that you can use with these tools. And then to take it a step further, Codex, which was just released, you know, by OpenAI and those guys, um, is the next step. And that's basically, well, you got to look at it to kind of fully appreciate what it's doing. But let me do a layman's kind of satirical explanation. These guys basically scraped the free coding internet. They took advantage of open source in some ways, scraped everybody's languages. And basically, uh, the NLP voice part it was not demonstrated this week, but basically live in front of the world, they talk to an AI through keyboard, right? Your, your input device is still keyboard. And basically got the AI to write a game live in front of everybody and then basically write out a whole bunch of scenarios. So the idea is AI creating for you. So Codex is beta tested and it can basically take the kids to the next level. Great, I had this idea. Now let's create an animated game or an animated story out of the graphic novel using Codex. It's 12 languages, it's, you know, it's super proficient across all the common JavaScript and all that kind of stuff, Python. Okay. So we're already getting to the point where G GPT-3, which I would argue not too many people already know much about the open AI codex is already a descendant of that, right? Things are going really fast. Yep. And what I'm reading here, it's training data. It contains both natural language and billions of lines of source code from publicly available sources, right? And including code in uh, public GitHub repositories. Uh, let's see, it's most capable in Python, but it also has uh, it is proficient in over a dozen other languages, including JavaScript, Go, Perl, PHP, Ruby, Swift, and TypeScript, and even Shell. That's wild. That's wild to think of about a, a language system that is familiar with all of <laughs> basically everything on GitHub and all of the natural languages in the world. Uh, it breaks my brain to think about the next part of that sentence. Yep. <laughs> It opens it up, but but we're so trained in dystopia, like your brain starts, oh God, my friends and their jobs and all these articles coming out in Forbes and yeah, that's a good acceleration point. of automation. But God dang it, when is there when is there like Forbes lifting up me and six other authors who are using yeah. these tools to massively create employment? We're, you know, <laughs> funds are tight right now, but at a certain point we had 35 people from around the world working and it went from 12 after we went to GPT-3. These are contractors who needed help. You want to start from the bottom up? I'm sorry, I'm getting no, it makes anyway. sense. Yeah, no, it makes sense. Um, I mean, one of the other thing, one of those sentences in here, open AI codex empowers computers to better understand people's intent, which can empower everyone to do more with computers. That's the big thing, right? Yep. If I, if I can, if I can help a computer understand what I want to do and want to see and want to write, it says, maybe you mean this, maybe you're thinking that. What if we mold these concepts together that I'm aware of being the computer and tie that into whatever it is you're thinking or, 
or presenting to me as input. And then it can present a thousand different options to you to help your brain lead you down a, a new pathway of inventing something new, right? Whether that's yep. a, a paragraph in a, in a, you know, comic story, or it's a, an invention of, um, you know, some kind with lasers on the backside of the moon to help stop asteroids. I'm just saying as an example. You know, this is the this is the way Google wants to evolve the sort of the the way phones are used. They even lately in their latest sort of I don't know what you'd call it. It wasn't an unveil because smartphone launches are weird these days. Uh, it's, we know it exists, but it hasn't been announced yet. And they, Google's confirmed it. But when they talk about their new phone, they they talk about things that people usually do to compare phones. And they talk about, you know, very fast stuff that you know, processors and RAM and all that stuff. And they say that they're competitive in that, but the stuff that they're really working on, they'll tell you, it's like, we don't have a way to benchmark this stuff yet. Like we're working on specific AI processors and stuff along those lines and things we want to do with AI in the phone. And it's starting with the obvious stuff, which is like, you know, the the voice speech to text and, and translating things and, and camera stuff like that. They've already been working on for a while, but they want to transform everything that they're doing on the phones and the way you use the phone is working with AI assisted all the way through. So we're seeing this proliferate through a significant amount of different areas uh, in the industry. Yep. Personal digital assistants, you know, virtual assistants, virtual avatars, call them what you want, but we're very close. I, I thought it would come a little sooner after CES a year and a half ago with Samsung, but their, their personal digital assistant was pretty underwhelming. And Bixby, I think, awful. Yeah. I think somebody stepped a little ahead of themselves there and then the whole industry pulled back and said yeah let's let's not promise full self-driving here you know let's pull back and and then work on this a little more and now you're starting to see you know it's not an ai winter for digital assistance it's just you know i think people are perfecting it because they know the expectations are a lot higher and i think they think human comfortability you know with with that type of technology is going to be really tough you know, I, well, it depends on the type of society you're in, right? So, last little sidebar here, but you know, I was listening to, or watching through Twitter, and some comments came up from Chad, who I like to follow from you know old VX Rail days and VMware and EMC before that. He's got a lot of good ponderings, and he was talking about um, the dang it, tip of my head, Freakonomics podcast, and how you have two different types of societies. And it was trying to get away from race, religion, all that kind of stuff that I try to avoid in Gaia Seed because you have a mashing together of all humans. How's culture going to work? And I got so many good ideas from that and how, you know, the, I think the podcast didn't take it as far as it could on adaptability to technology as one of the attributes, right? Independence, obviously, America falls in that bucket, but hey, Curtis, adaptability. Getting, sorry, real quick. We're getting a, quite a bit of wind. Uh, wind oh, noise or rustling them. or something. Gotcha, I'll head inside. Anyway, so any thoughts on that? Uh, Chad is awesome, and I love his um, his uh, his mental ramblings and, and challenges and all that kind of stuff. I, I got I got, I got to be honest. I, sorry, Billy, but the my initial thought when you say adaptability to technology, I think in my mind I was thinking like Cyberpunk twenty seventy seven sort of adding technology into my brain what do you mean when you say adaptability to technology specifically that, that in relation well, to the freakonomics podcast you think they could have gone further like what's an example where'd they go and where could they have gone well i'm, I'm only halfway through the first of the series so i'm going to talk about where 
where I'm at, uh, you know, mentally on that. So they basically, it's not an Eastern and Western. It really gets rid of most of the cliches. They just go into the two subtypes and then they start going into political systems. Um, you know, they start breaking it down into acceptance of facial recognition. They don't go all dark, like, you know, social credit scores and things like that. They talk up at a level that's very intriguing around how technology manifestation at a government level is going to accelerate very quickly. And it kind of, for me, references, uh, you know, it's hard not to call it Eastern, but you're seeing a lot of articles around the intent of Eastern nations to leapfrog the traditional power holders. And we're not just talking China. We're talking like the Philippines was in, you know, a bunch of magazine articles here recently around its very aggressive adoption of next-gen technologies, right? Uh, national identity systems that are not, you know, I'm not saying get rid of all anonymity, but God, look at Twitter, right? So some balance around a national identity system that allows to people very, very quickly to get uh, loans, microloans, um, allows them to use digital currency, uh, allows them to, I could go on and on and on, guys, these are more in the political realm, but um, when it broke it down into, you know, what are these attributes, they spent the first 20 minutes really trying to define what they were going to say. It really made it apparent to me that the next set of values that could be important this decade are going to be just the general adaptability to significant digital change. Is that a better way? It's, it's a lot. Uh, it's, it's an interesting aspect to, to think about. I'm, I'm sitting here looking to add the podcast to my list here. I, I don't know where I stand. I, I definitely think that it's an important topic as far as like the human ability to adapt to change. I, here's what I struggle with. Uh, not that, you know, maybe this is gonna be the realest podcast we ever have. I, I, I think we struggle as a human race to assume positive intent with anything that we do. And I think that that is the biggest attributor to people being hesitant to adopt or want to adopt anything that a powering entity tries to give them. And I think technology is at the forefront of that. So I believe that it's going to take a significant, significant cultural change uh, or, or even maybe even a stick as opposed to carrot approach to, to seeing this type of change, just because I, I Twitter was a great example. Twitter is what is giving me this opinion. Just watching the things that people come to conclusions about on Twitter is fascinating and infuriating to me, but it's, it's the human element of life. And I, and I think that that's an element that, I don't know, I, right now, people, everyone is very negative. And I think there's a lot of distrust in, in the world, or at least the distrusting opinion is the one that's most prevalent and easy to find and see, which means it proliferates to a lot more places much more quickly than the positive one does. Amen. Yeah. And I think that's Amen. been proven out too. You can, yeah, I agree. Um, something I often come back to is the law of diffusion of innovation, the bell curve, right? Bell curve mm. can be described or can be used to describe a lot of different things. Yep. But specifically, diffusion of innovation, when you look at our industry, when you look at technology, when you look at anything that's changing quickly or whatever, um, you're going to have that two and a half percent that are innovators, you know, like Curtis, that are constantly thinking out to like 2050. And that's the world that they live in. It's, it's wild, right? And then you've got the early adopters, which are maybe us that are fascinated by what Curtis is saying. We're like, hey, we're on board. And then you've got the entire rest of the 85% of the people that are going to be, I mean, you've got early majority, late majority, but 70% of those, uh, you know, that that's behind all that, right? And they're constantly going to be challenging 
um, the adoption of those things. I mean, if you, if, if somebody invented, um, you know, replacing one of my eyeballs and I could just, you know, do a scroll wheel on the side of my head and switch to, you know, um, heat vision or night vision or, uh, you know, see through smoke or whatever. Uh, I'm probably Are we in yeah. predator fan fiction again. Let's, like where does oh, he leave that? Howard, yeah. Wow. He kind of went down a different rabbit hole there. I, I just stepped away for just a minute and, and Aaron just totally off I his rocker. I'm <laughs> not off my rocker. I'm just, I'm kidding. I'm trying I to follow. Yeah. I mean, I, I'd be interested in something like that, but you know, <laughs> for, 90... for all those scenarios that you need to see through smoke walls. No, I don't know. I'm just, I'm just <laughs> well, you yeah, know, what's so funny. There, the, the, <laughs> What you're talking about uh, with uh, what's it called the uh, the law the fusion of, of innovation. the fusion of innovations? Yes, yes, yeah. yes. I was trying to explain this concept to. I wanted to actually use this in a presentation two or three years ago uh, at at my engineering conference. So at, at ours at SHI's engineering conference, and and I ended up having to scrap it because conceptually, I was told by the people who were reviewing the content at the time that it just felt like it was too much and that no one was going to understand and, and under, like be able to drive this concept home. And that was at a technology company filled with engineers yeah, who right. do what a lot of strong, innovative work. <laughs> yeah. And so with, when, and, and I was trying to, and I boiled it down very simplistically at the time, at least I, in my mind, I did. And I really felt like that moment opened my eyes to, if I can't talk about that in this environment, how in the world would we be able to talk about these much larger concepts, especially since, by the way, I was using the entire idea of diffusion of innovations in order to sort of help conceptualize the way we adopt things in the industry. And if I can't even talk about the idea of adoption, yeah, how are we going to get the normal people in the world to actually adopt some of these more radicalized ideas, especially when you... You need the, that first. I don't remember the percentages, but between the innovators and the early adopters, it was about the first fifteen percent, and they are so critical in order for the early and late majorities to even start taking things on. And so, it's just an interesting thing where I think we're seeing this, and I'm not going to go into the stuff we're seeing it in because it can really drive some people crazy. But we're seeing this right now with the adoptions of certain things in life where even that first 15% isn't affecting a whole lot of the early and late majority. And I just feel like these concepts have to be taught and, and brought to the forefront and, and people don't want to. Uh, I'm not no. talking about cryptocurrency, <laughs> but we can switch the podcast to that to make everyone happy if we want. No, I'm just kidding. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. It's like it's, the it's, only it's, piece of feedback we got was less crypto. Don't talk about crypto. <laughs> well, we can get into that as a part of education for children, right? Yes, um, Curtis. So, so, so <laughs> no. let's just, no, just, but, well, just one second. So I spent the yeah, early part of my life in social work. I'm, I'm passionate here. Just give me one second. It was heartbreaking to go and spend a year. I don't think I should say the name of the facility. This was a liberal experiment, if you will, poured cash by Microsoft, Toyota. If we help these children, can they thrive? Slapped into the middle of Portland in a gang territory, leased the park for a year or a hundred years or something for like a dollar. Can we slap education, mentorship, therapy, sports, nutrition? I worked there, guys, for a month or two during the first part of my years in social work in, in college. And man, holy cow, when you get into inner city scenarios, you know, the lack of um, the lack of technical, the lack of schooling and education, it's just, it can be profound. And I think that AI can help significantly 
I think that adaptive learning and judging where a kid is at by having a teacher with a HUD, a heads up display in front of them and goes, oh, you know, you know, Sally's having a real problem here and Billy's having a real problem here and maybe even more intelligent saying, why don't I link these two together? One really has, you know, reading comprehension and the other has, you know, issues with mnemonics or whatever, right? So the point is, I think that these tools are out there to help the kids. And I learned in social work really early on. So I focused in juvenile justice and youth substance abuse. I don't care to want to help adults much anymore. They're so lost. They're so, they're so in their ways. And the amount of exponential change that I see coming from a social level, studying computational social science, using data to understand what's going on in the world, right? It is going to be profound. And I feel like we should invest 10x what we are into children from 5 to 18 right now and, and get them up up speed, get them ready for quantum workforce, get them ready for cobotics, make it natural for them to ask a computer a question rather than think they need to know everything. I'm done. I'm going to pause. Sorry. No, well, I can tell you right now, uh, huge. all of my investment goes into the under five age right now between a two and a half year old and a three week old. <laughs> so, so I'm right there with you. <laughs> awesome. Curtis, you gave my brain some whiplash there when you said, uh, teachers with a heads up display. And now I'm imagining this, you know, this cobot, right? This term I'm starting to learn more about listening to you, but you have this AI assistant for a teacher. Um, sorry, my brain's going off on a little tangent there because our local teachers aren't called teachers. They're called designers. I guess they're, they're called, uh, there's some other word in there. It was kind of, my wife was telling me about that the other day. It was kind of funny. Um, but having a having an AI assistant that can ping the teacher, but I am trying to imagine a HUD on a teacher, and maybe the disruptive force in that within the 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 class, maybe or yeah, right because you think it, of HUD as like that's the tank beauty driver of, of, or fighter pilot. No goodness, no, I don't. I I think no, it's no. way more broad than that. I mean, think just information at point of task. But yeah, yeah, I think like I I think I if I'm understanding what you're saying. What's so fascinating about it is that when you introduce that kind of technology or that kind of game-changing, you know, profoundly uh, intricate and to-the-child sort of technology into a classroom, yeah. when you do it at that age, it's not disruptive to them at all. Yeah, it's totally natural. normal. Like kindergarten by itself is hugely disruptive, only not at all for kids yes. because their life changes so fast all the time. They walk in. That's true. Teacher has AI assistant that learns their behaviors and teaches to their specifics. Like they will, they will actually have more problems talking to adults that don't understand how they process information because they don't have a HUD that's helping them deal with them. Right? Like, and I'm not even talking about neurodiversity generation. here. Yeah, no, no, <laughs> yeah. for sure. Like, like I think kids, you 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 hit the nail on the head, Curtis. Like kids are where we should focus for that kind of stuff. And I, I hearken, you know, some of what you were saying to like what happened to to our generation or generations, because of course I don't know exactly how old you are, but the this idea that you'll never have a calculator on you, like you have to learn how to to, to do certain functions yep. because it will not or, always be yep. accessible <laughs> to you. you have to write like, in cursive. Everyone yep. can appreciate this at this anymore. point because it is so <laughs> bad wrong. The only time I didn't have a calculator on me was when someone told me I had to leave everything that was a calculator somewhere else. <laughs> Like that's literally the situation that, that I've been in for my entire adult life. Right. And so we focus all this attention on the way that we sort of constructed the world, but 
what's going to happen to kids now with these kinds of technologies and the absolutely mind-numbingly rapid pace of adoption and acceleration of what it can do for us? It, like, I, you can't even wrap your head around. They don't have so. to unlearn. It's the smartest uh-huh. thing. I'm sure you guys are hiring people or at some point in your career in the last year have, right? Like, what's the number one rule with rapid changing technology when you get up at the high echelons of VMware or whatever? These people have to unlearn. Dude, if you're still stuck on iSCSI, whatever, right? Unlearn what you think <laughs> yeah. you know about storage and networking, right? Yeah, so kids. Kids are clean neural networks, right? They're fairly clean neural networks and they're making synapse exchange really, really fast (laughs) at that age, right? You're right. And so one day they can't walk and one day they can. (laughs) Yep. Yep. And 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 when they see, they understand. Okay, so so here, let's dream a second. I got a little seven-inch display in the upper corner of my desk. Cost costs, I don't know, whatever, $200 for the teacher to have it in the upper corner. That's initial CapEx, you know, very little OpEx, but it's mostly as a service, you know, teaching as a service, the school out outsources all the management to where her little HUD that, you know, maybe at worst, she wears some AR goggles that allows her to only see this massive screen on the wall that keeps confidentiality down, does little biometrics to make sure it's her eye. And basically, she takes the security hit by being a teacher, but none of the kids' data is, you know, there for exfiltration, hopefully behind some heavy, let's go future, some heavy quantum encryption or something, right? And she basically has this display. Billy's struggling. His eyes have not been on the classroom. The only way she can manage a 50-person classroom, because all of her teachers fled education after this thing called the coronavirus pandemic in 2020 and 2022, and, and the year in between. And basically, she knows that the only way she can manage this classroom is by having a huge augmented tool set, pressure sensors on the hooks for their coats. I'm in Alaska, sorry. So coats, boots everywhere, right? Little pressure sensors that cost $5 that tell her, you know, Tina didn't hang up her coat. This has been a problem. Three or four times she's done this. She needs a little help. Why don't you go over and talk to her and talk to her about responsibility? The only way you can manage this class of 50 students is if humans understand from a very early age They need to forge their own path and their own futures in a world where lifelong learning is a part of their life, like regularly pulled out of the workforce to re-educate as automations come. And you teach kids that from, you teach them to trust robotics and cobotics and trust these things and interact with them, play in Lego robotics. And I'm going to drone on again. So I just, I feel like those things are easily achievable and I don't want one to 50 with teachers. I want one to 20 and an excellent experience, but I don't think we're going to get it. So let's give them some tools, the stuff that the HAI labs discuss all the time. That's wild, man. That's wild. The amount of sensors that you could like think about that would go into the, like, what if the teacher could in this heads up display, get alerts to um, like heart rate variability within their students. Yep. You know, like somebody getting into medical. I'm, I'm, I'm a fan yeah. of not doing too much scan of the actual sure. children. There's okay. so many th- ways that you can help. First, let's get yeah, easy I'm setting wins. Yeah, that aside. Yeah. Yes. yes. Yeah, but absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Think of what, what if, uh, let's go into mental health a little bit. What if you could sense panic attacks? What well, if what ADHD I mean. was raging in a child and, that, and, yeah. and it wasn't his fault and a simple Apple watch let you know that he needs a koosh ball to play with like my kids did or my kids sat on a bucket with a, with a, with a, um, a pillow duct tape to the top of it. If they went into a chair, they just completely disappeared from the world. But if you made their body balance, they eventually went to a tea chair balancing and that helped them keep focused. But damn it, what if AI recommended those things? Because it just, you know, was with the children in the classroom helping the teacher and said, hey, you know, let's, uh, let's try this for, uh, 
well, for George and, or whatever. And even better to your point before, right? AI will have the capacity to take all of that data for 50 students in your future example and actually provide guidance across all of them almost instantaneously compared to what it would take a human teacher to do. I mean, that's it takes the course of a school year to learn every kid's you know, habits and learning styles and, and how they respond, you know, socially, for instance, AI can do all of that simultaneously for all of those children. And even if you don't have 50 kids in your class, if it's not a requirement just because of scale and scope, because I, I see some major downsides to that, if it's the real future anyways, like 20, 30 kids, a normal, you know, public school classroom size, hugely beneficial to be able to get all of that stuff early it makes the school year more, you know, proactively valuable. It probably ends up being catered to. It's it's just it's goodness around. It's it's going to be awesome if yeah, we. Can I think it is. Oh, sure. <laughs> well, and it's interesting to do that. You know, let's do an east west thing again, right? So recently, you know, the news has been all around China and crackdown around businesses and things like that. But what was kind of silently underneath it is all, uh, you know, digital uh, education systems. And I think the comments they made was they're not allowed to profit. And so what's been going on with Squirrel AI and a lot of these massive, you know, uh, platforms that you have in the East, they've never had classrooms that worked for, you know, nine tenths of their population or whatever, six tenths, whatever. Point is, out in these rural communities, all you need is a 5G, you know, Huawei 5G tower and Squirrel AI. And now you can start. Now, here's where you got utopia or dystopia. So let's just do a little darkness for a second. Here's how you can harvest all these brilliant brains from out in these rice fields, if you will, these rural farming communities or whatever. You can basically prey upon, if you want to look at it from that direction, which I wouldn't put past some authoritarian governments, but God dang it, like it can also... Let's look at it from the flip side, just within their country. What if they were able to bring their family out of poverty? They were instantly elevated. The system rapidly saw, whoa, this one's smart here. Get him into Beijing, take his family with him, right? And so a true meritocracy, if you will, based on you know harvesting very simple, it's almost like recommender systems. I know a couple of you are reading AI superpowers, like that was wave one. That was AI 1.0, right? Mech recommender systems are easy. I recommend this person take this course. I recommend this. I recommend next thing you know, you're at the top of your you know gaming stats medal list and uh, you're working in Beijing in the quantum computing labs. So there's two sides to the coin. And I don't think we talk enough about the utopian side of uplifting. I focus on neurodiversity. Look at the stats. 80% unemployment depend on how you define autism, right? Not good. Look at Microsoft and all these, you know, neurodiverse hiring programs. That's a start. But what if out of high school, these adaptive AI systems understood some of these savant-like capabilities and were able to document some of the struggles that they have with communication or, or, or other social aspects? And I'm droning on again. <laughs> just, just thinking out loud. No, it's all fascinating stuff. I think those are the kind of tools. And, th and that's great, too, because... Like, my, I think I've mentioned it before, but my mom worked with uh, neurodiverse students basically her entire you teaching did? career. And, awesome. um, you know, something something that she always injects into conversations like this is is the very human sort of empathetic side, which is the, the goal for any child. And, and keep in mind that a lot of times when people talk about neurodiverse uh, individuals, it, obviously there's a spectrum. Some kids are 
categorically unable to care for themselves right now, as an example, right? Like they, they will never have independence. That these there, there are children with conditions where this is uh, basically accepted as a fact, right? <clears throat> but, it, you know, from my mother's perspective and, and something that resonates with me, um, it, anything that we can do to enhance a, an individual's ability to integrate or enhance their ability to be more independent is, is absolutely the burden of society as a whole. And I see, you know, just based on some of the stuff you're saying, there's going to be so much application for this kind of technology to help enhance, you know, kind of the, those of us in the most need in, in our world, right? And, and that's, that's pretty cool because unfortunately, I think right now the human collateral necessary to lift up those in most in need, it, it often ends up resulting in them not getting the appropriate amount of care or attention. If, if we can help relieve the human time that is needed to be spent, and that doesn't mean it should be eliminated, I'm not saying that at all, but we might be able to far exceed what we thought we would be able to do for lots of lots of these individuals and it's not just about identifying and, and helping you know savants as you said you know sort of integrate into a working society but also just getting any individual closer to independence is is feasible which is pretty yep. cool yep maybe superpower is the better word i know greta thunberg you know <laughs> popularized that and turned it into something that a lot of people have issue with but I agree with you. I don't like the term savant because it separates. Uh, and then and I believe that these tools are going to get dig deeper into the capabilities, nonverbal um, capabilities uh, of, of the brain that are going to accelerate um, <laughs> creativity and a new, I call it revenge of the nerds, right? Maybe revenge of the nerds too. This decade, 2020 is revenge of the nerds, right? All the nerds are running things now and the politicians are angry and getting swept aside and, you know, trying to figure out how to be nerdy, but you got to, you know, study and all that. So next decade is going to be all these kids with these new tools and these, I mean, talk about a young generation saying, step aside, grandpa, like they're going to come up to speed and just like fact time, check them in real time. Like their Apple watch is listening to the conversation, some political thing. I know that's actually wrong. I validated that across six sources or my watch did. So you're lying, right? Judges trying to put sentences across and a young, you know, court apprentice or whatever you want to call it with a HUD going, ah, yeah. so I don't want to publicly say this at first, but you're racist. Like you, um, you know, the system tracked what you're doing and you it saw that you read these articles and that you understood that this is how these people were sentenced. And, you know, you're going to have to prove or you're not racist. Sorry, beep. system corrects itself. It goes, you're going to be seen as racist if you do this because there's so much bias in what you're doing. Are you sure you want to do that, Judge? I'm all for that kind of world. Yeah, that's pretty cool. I, I think something else that's been really interesting, and, and I'm sorry, because I had to step away for a, a second. So if you guys touched on this, my bad. But, um, you know, when we started the conversation with you today, Curtis, you were talking about GPT-3 and neural language processing and things like that. Something, something else that I think is really, really cool, because it makes this so, so real, is the ability to process, uh, you know, you mentioned inferences and stuff like that, like inference learning at this point is being used everywhere. So you can train massive neural network models, and then you can, you know, optimize them and you can get them out to inference. So it could be run on a handheld. You've got Google and Samsung and, and Apple, and they're all working on silicon dedicated to AI processing, you know, in your hand. So not only is this sort of 
uh, utopian or otherwise future where this capability set exists and these models are being trained at scale in data centers, but you as an individual are realistically going to have enough compute in your hand to really start to use it soon. So, Quantum, right? Google's roadmap is to have in your hand a vetted out stacked qubit ECC processor that fits in the palm of your hand, right? You watch their roadmaps from the last couple of weeks. So I just want to stretch it one further before I hand it back and go quantum in your hand. So quantum endpoints, quantum internet, host quantum encryption, now go. (laughs) Well, no, no, no. And that that was exactly my point. I mean, I think it's really interesting. I'm kind of curious your thoughts. When it comes to scaling this, we talked about adoption. We talked about the the curve um, as things go into it. What, what are you seeing, especially, you know, you talked about content creation, how you're actually using some of these sort of frameworks to, to do something I wouldn't have even necessarily considered until you really brought it up. Like, who's, who's really dominating the space to help bring this sort of futuristic uh, artificial intelligence, uh, especially if we're moving towards general intelligence in that space, um, you know, who's who's really moving the needle now and democratizing the capability of the data science community to use open source or, or otherwise enterprise supported? I, I don't really care what the model is that that depends yeah. on commercial versus non. You know, what, what are you seeing? You know, who do you who do you go? Where do you dig into for all that stuff? Yeah. OK, so I have about four or five newsletters that um that I keep, uh, you know, on the regular read, and they basically provide more than enough content that I can consume during the week to kind of keep up, you know, within, I think one of them is kind of quantum based, but they all mix, you know, quantum and AI mix a lot together. Uh, so from those newsletters, they, it's, it's staggering the amount of companies that are being funded, VC, all that kind of stuff, but they don't have the multimedia, they don't have the steam front end, right? That's what I want to call it. Like Jensen, NVIDIA knows how to show a utopian vision, and they have a track record of a decade of, you know, starting off all their conferences with I am AI and their whole synthetic, you know, the the development process that they released last week, showing that the entire presentation that we saw, you know, from the the big conference, what is it, GTC or something like that, was all AI, right? And they break it down for 25 minutes, showing the entire thing is an illusion, essentially a metaverse, right? So illusion's the wrong word. But (laughs) I feel like they lead, they make me feel empowered, right? I'm a very visceral, candid, um, uh, emotionally unintelligent, um, uh, you know, uh, free associating type of person these days. And I live life, uh, I'll cry sometimes when I'm watching some of their movies. They're just so powerful and there's so much visual um, utopia, right? Um, you know, and they, they generally uh, sync the music so beautifully in these, you know, intro videos. It's so different from getting on, you know, all the stage shows that I've been to in technology. Theirs tends to be embracing Steam, almost like the early Apple or early Adobe crowd. Like this is where creativity goes. Now, on top of that, they're just, it seems like exponential amount of products. And it seems like they're not announcing them. They're announcing that they're already there and integrated, right? You've got, you know, a lot of people hear about, you know, some of the the great things going on with supercomputers. Um, So, you know, Cambridge One is, uh, 
I think we're going to see a Nobel Prize coming out of that thing, you know, every quarter if we start hitting intelligence explosion levels that it feels like we're at the early sparks of, right? And so cobotics, scientists that want to remain, you know, valid and employed and and, and really uh, integrated in the top tier involvement of, of humanity's expansion are going to be cobotics engineers. They might be the early transhumans. Right. You're talking about cyborg parts, things like that. Like, yo, if I could get my brain to do some of the things I really want it to, but in a healthy way, like my brain's not healthy right now. I'm working through things. But if I could get my brain to turn off and turn on at the right moments just for me, I could create a lot better. Right. So NVIDIA, Cambridge One, you know, we're about to head into AI day with uh, Tesla. There was a great article I forwarded on to you guys uh, from earlier today around what are the expectations, where, you know, where are things going to go? This isn't about FSD. We know that, um, you know, there's a hiring and recruitment, robotics and AI recruitment, um, um, you know, front end for for Tesla and, and, you know, their new supercomputer, you know, let, let alone Dojo, the one that I was shooting over to you guys this afternoon. Like, I had no idea that AMD and Cray, their new supercomputer that they're building for the Department of Energy I think it was as powerful as the next 1600 underneath it, or it may have been 160. It doesn't matter. <laughs> yeah. Right. That is it insane. Matter. Yep. Yeah. Well, and that's, and that's what I was going to say. Like, I'm not surprised that you're dropping any of the names that you're dropping. Right. I, I the, the shift um, in, in computing to GPU driven functions drew, you know, some very obvious players into this market, which by the way, dovetails off of, you know, one of the announcements we talked about on our last show, which is Intel's getting back in that mix, right. In the Amen. GPU space. And, and I expect fully that a, like Russ said, there's room for a third big player when it comes to GPUs, but the reason isn't just GPU hardware they need to be competing at scale for these high-performance compute environments. I mean, you, you mentioned NVIDIA as a player. Then you talk about Cambridge One. Well, Cambridge One is one of NVIDIA's super pods. It's a DGX system. That's right. NVIDIA underneath the covers. Uh, I, don't, I don't know enough about exactly how they're doing it, but... Um, you know, a lot of a lot of companies are using NVIDIA's suite of AI tools, which is designed to, you know, bring at scale support to customers that want to leverage deep learning, machine learning, and then deploy it at scale. So from beginning to end of that pipeline, right? Yep. And and AMD must be doing similar things, though I don't hear as much about them in the uh I guess the software side of the equation. NVIDIA has the I, I, ecosystem. They don't just yeah. have the software and the hardware. Right. They have the trust it's, it's all of, of, of everyone they have. Hopefully, they have ARM coming on board. Like Yo, Intel, yeah, right. Gelsinger. Hope it gets proved. Sure. Your guys' comments always are spot on. Like Gelsinger can 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 do magic. But um, for my, <laughs> my, my study comment. of him. Okay. Well, I've, I've but followed I agree closely. It. No, I agree. <laughs> I, I'm just joking. No, it's, it's a fact. Sure. <laughs> I think he can turn it around, but boy, does he have, cause you're not talking about some toxic corporate giant. We all work in technology. We know what these people were like. We're talking about NVIDIA. It's like, oh, it's NVIDIA, yeah. you know, like there's, who the hell hates NVIDIA? There, there's something so special about people NVIDIA who use AMD this... hate NVIDIA. That's <laughs> <laughs> so true. Uh, there's, there is something there is something special about Nvidia in this space in my mind because they they have that element that so many companies that try to do similar things don't, which is they have gamers, they have content creators that are happy to be using them as sort of the go-to platform. So they end up being a bit of a golden child from a like a corporate image perspective. And then of course they've done phenomenal things with the gear 
and with the software. And they really are bridging the gap and painting that futuristic picture. And yeah, I, I think I think you're spot on. It's it's really, really neat to see it. And I'm kind of I'm really curious to see um, where the the I guess the other emerging players come in this space too. Because e- even if they all end up using NVIDIA SuperPods underneath the covers yep. to, to just yep. get the most egregious, you know, super numbers when it comes to total throughput and cores and, and all of that together, it it's really like the applications are what's going to be so phenomenal. Yeah. And and like we're getting to the point where you you can go get shared time on a supercomputer and you will be able to process anything you want at any scale yeah. and then bring it to the general public in their hands and their little, you know, handheld quantum computer, right? Um, and I don't, I don't think there is any industry, any industry that isn't going to be significantly impacted by the introduction of well-refined and optimized AI. Power optimized, for yeah. Space. Power yeah, it, optimized it just, for sure. It, it, like name one. I, I really don't think they exist. And and I think you, you kind of nailed it when you talk about childhood development and mental health. Like these are things that you wouldn't expect an algorithm to be able to help us solve, but I think they will. And those Buns. are probably some oh of the my God. furthest the fetched things, right? Yeah. So that's the explosion of autism assessment. It's all humans pushing back going, Oh, I'm not so sure. It's, it's been complex for us <laughs> to do this for the last 20, 30 years since we started yeah, right. addressing Asperger's and you know, autism spectrum disorder. And how could a machine do it? And I'm just like, boom, scan my kids' eyes, you know, right at birth. They're seeing these things, you know, within six months to 12 months, regular checkup that you just go in and it's like, oh, based on eye tracking. Like this is 80%. Cur- I, you know what? I shouldn't use percentage. There are so many startups that are looking into assisting those that are on the spectrum. And I don't want to make all neurodiversity about the spectrum, but I have two children that I've devoted most of my brain cycles and my life outside of technology to trying to figure out a better way for them to thrive. And I really think that AI is going to open up that world. I think you're spot on. Cool. It's exciting. It's colorful. It's very Bob Ross. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Happy little yeah. accidents. <laughs> and tools, tools, not problems, right? That's the last thing I want to say on education is, you know, we're, we're just getting the kids back into synthesis. And I want to, I want to promote that again. I, I have zero relationship with them other than tweeting a few times about the cool stuff they're doing. But, you know, I think that not everything that Elon Musk did with Ad Astra, you know, his school for his kids and the SpaceX employees is perfect. But Chrisman taking it out and turning it into, you know, the Synthesis Academy for kids um, you know, we, we have homeschool, so we're able to pay the 180 bucks a month per kid to get them in, you know, and it's, it's really kind of great to not be allowed in the room, right? They come, they pot them up in 12 or 16 kids or whatever. And it's all about tools, not the, or all about the problem, not the existing tools. Like young minds should not be told a wrench turns a bolt, right? They should be told, well, you also have a power, you know, you also have power tools. You also have this, right? You should not predisposition their their troubleshooting process with with maybe archaic tools for for the kind of material science that we have right now now is the time for a science project to come to life if creative people can envision it properly and communicate i need you to rewind for a second this is the first time i've heard about the synthesis academy and i want to know more Okay, so it's, I believe, 5 to 14. My oldest just phased out, um, but they're very interested in neurodiverse um, specific studying and, and, and older kids. So right now they're just doing the common or the core that they brought from Ad Astra, 
um, and I could be butchering a few things, just go to synthesis.ai and yeah, basically right you just got to ask your kids a few questions and send a video of how they answer them. It's not age dependent. All the kids work together. It's a cooperation system where everyone's kind. It's Michael Dell style, right? Win, but but be kind, and and realize how you can supplement each other and work to build each other's skill set to solve highly visual problems. So, dude, cool. I hear all the nastiness about gamification. This is gamification done right. That's so cool. Yeah, this is neat. There's something uh, I'm definitely looking into. I love your comment about, um, and sorry if you can hear the background noise, there's now a vacuum cleaner going right outside my door. Can't <laughs> Can't, I'm still okay. on the porch. <laughs> Great. Awesome. Uh, so the very first time I took my kids on an airplane, we were telling them, hey, here's what's going to happen. Here's all this kind of stuff. And what they supposed in their mind, and I think, I remember having this conversation with Tyler, and I think we had it on this show. I can't remember. But what they supposed in their mind is that the airplane would come and land on our street and pick us up. And then, yeah, and then love it. us away, right? And that, uh, so I, what you said about that just rings so true in my head is, um, you know, just the, the creativity aspect of it, because that's what's going to uh, bring us to new places and, and new heights in the future. And not it shame young me. minds for the things that they create when they come up with ideas. That's one of the biggest reasons why I love to yeah, work exactly. in young classrooms. As long as there isn't a negative person in the mix that can't be kind of overruled, it's, yeah, yeah, that's great, Bob. Yeah, that's great, Tina, whatever, right? Yeah. It's just, it's, it's awesome ideas. And I feel like if I have a superpower, it's mashing young ideas together into like these that's huge, cool. yeah. I don't know what you want to call them, like mosaics of storytelling, right? So anyway. I love it. I love it. Yeah. And I, and yeah, I didn't. Sure. There was there was absolutely no shame in that question. If that if that came across that way, it was, you know, in my adult mind, I've never even thought about it being that way, right? Yeah, I just no. always thought I have to get in my car that I have to drive and I have to go yeah. park in a parking structure and I got to get. But no, in that's the that future, unlearning. Yeah, exactly. In the future, <laughs> you know, there'll be What's some that? drone that comes pick comes and picks me up and takes me to a larger airfield and whatever. Yep. That's funny that it reminds me of something uh, a long time ago. It, it, they're riddles, um, and I'm, I'm I don't remember most of them, but I remember one specifically. And, and I'll actually ask and, and just see. You guys might remember as soon as I say it. But you know, there's a question. You'll get different answers depending on who you ask, right? And it said, uh, you know, like how do you get an elephant into a refrigerator? And go ahead, somebody answer the question. Oh man! Well, it's uh, it's not fr family friendly. I don't think. <laughs> okay, so there, there's one. Uh, you got you got Russ the butcher. Sure. <laughs> I say you get a really large refrigerator. There you go. Yeah. You know Walk you know how in. a lot of you know how a lot of kids will answer that question. What? Put it in the refrigerator. There's no just, there's no concept there's no preconceived notion of an elephant being too big to fit in a refrigerator. You just yeah. you the same way you put anything in a refrigerator. You put you it in. Put it. <laughs> my mind my mind went to my uh, I think I was like 17 food service job and I literally I didn't want to answer right away but I'm highly visual like so the first thing I see is me leading like a baby Dumbo into the you know huge walk-in cooler yeah, I love peanuts it. or something right sure. so like, yeah what, what does your brain do right sure. did you take the typical personality test that you answer the way you want to be or did you go and do the Colby, right? Did the, did you get the instincts? Did you get who you are, right? How do you answer questions? You know, I, I think my brain went where Russ's was because if you're going to fill a container, the easiest way to do it is basically liquid form because it's going to take the there shape of whatever that container is. So it's like, well, if you liquefy an elephant, uh, is it too much mass to fit in a regular size refrigerator? Yes. Okay. And I'm going to need a bigger refrigerator. Yeah, bigger you might refrigerator. as well just leave it alive and walk it into a bigger refrigerator. <laughs> and, and it's funny because we, we automatically apply constraints, right? Like, well, elephants yeah. are really big and refrigerators well, because are, there are. the size of a door. No, there are not. There, there are, are constraints, though. No. Yeah. 
We have entirely refrigerated trucks for yeah. material. You could walk an elephant into that. It's still a refrigerator. How do, how do you fit? How do you fit all the animals <laughs> on the ark? Right. Well, we have modern technology that you know you can blend <laughs> magic and religion together and say, well, you just. Uh, sequence their genome, draw some blood, and then you recreate them on the other side, right? <laughs> so yep. they can fit Lots in of vials. mosquitoes in resin. Ah, nice. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Awesome. Let's, uh, Curtis, let's roll out the red carpet for you uh, to steal the first we feast phrase there at the end. Um, thanks for your hour of time here, man. Is there anything you'd like to promote before we shut it down? Yeah. You know, um, I think we're, we're kind of at a next push within, uh, within Bifrost, and that is doing better and creating community. We've got a lot going on on Patreon. That's, you know, been fun, but we have ideas or uh, lots of ideas that are ready to execute around Kickstarter and taking our animation series potentially to hit record, which is, um, you know, a really popular collaborator platform that can kind of uplift everybody rising tide type of thing. So, so we're looking for basically um, not so much social media. I have another person for that, but kind of community building, we're looking to do that on contract for someone that might be passionate around some of the projects. And um, we have uh, promotions going on right now. We're finalizing volume two of Gaia Seed. So my wife just finished the script and Jen has room for five more uh, non-player characters. And I, I call them NPCs because the video game aspect, if that's where you want to be in it, it can be there. But it's uh, introduction to the graphic novel as like a not a key character. But, you know, we've got we've got several people in tech that have responded here recently that wanted to be certain things like Leviathans and a merfolk prince. And, you know, um, we have another option where you can rewrite history, right? So it's 2099 back. These are really, you know, we have precious few flashbacks, but we're constantly you know, the AI and, and other characters are constantly bringing this young, you know, Celine, Gaia's daughter, if you will, up to speed. And so you have flashbacks talking about what happened in humanity. So somebody wants to cure cancer. Um, somebody wants to invent the first holographic storage that gets us away from that cheesy old lame flash, you know, like we can start saying that soon. <laughs> yeah, I know, like spindles are so far in the past. Now it's like, oh, that shitty flash stuff. Don't you? Have I remember reading about holographic storage in a popular science in like 1992. Yep. Who's going to get to crack that? You know, we didn't think we we didn't think protein folding would be solved. Essentially, creating life and AI now did that and might win a Nobel Prize. Uh, you know, whenever those come up here in a few months. So why not solving holographic storage? Because guess what, man, you compute go. is through get the freaking roof, but storage will continue. I think to be a bottleneck hey. for the next couple. Oh decades. no, for sure, no question. I mean, I think that's acknowledged in the industry, right? Uh, yep. in, in fact, um, I've been talking about it a lot because it's the book that I'm listening to right now. And again, I think Russ is too, but the AI superpowers, they talk about how with, with enough data, you don't even need the best engineers to get good results out of machine learning, deep learning to yep. you know, create AI that's useful. Data is the resource. You know, they, we've, we've mentioned for years, especially those of us that have spent time in the storage industry, that data, like your IO data, is the new sort of oil for the world. And, and it's starting to be very, very real because the more of it you have, the more capable we are to sift through it in a very non-human way and make value from it. And so um, I, don't, I don't even think it's a question. That's not up yeah. in the air at all. So that's, that's great. Yeah, no, well, another man, good sounds... name drop. Another good name <laughs> drop. And Andrew Ying is, you know, uh, between what he does with Coursera and deeplearning.ai and basically democratizing AI across industries, He's been on a huge push the last six months, massive push to basically show um, these shops with, uh, you know, with data scientists or not, you know, how you can 
uh, curate your data. We refer to it as ethical curation in our book because we have to create an AGI out of a data set. And basically the concept is, I think we're finally getting to the masses, this ability to curate your data ahead of time and provide massive uh, time to, to market and return on yeah. investment capabilities for data. No, exactly. Like you just hand them an array and they come back with ideas versus, you know, the arrays doing it for you maybe as we talk, try talk to Talk about do failing it. fast too, yeah. right? And, that, yeah. and that's yeah. where, like I, I, I mentioned it before, I don't think that there's an industry that isn't going to be disrupted by this. And, and the yep. concept of watching... You know, old guard potentially fall to to new companies doing things in creative ways. Like I, I just the hockey stick. I think we're about to run into in the next five to ten years is going to be pretty extraordinary, and it's going to be yep. everywhere, which is absolutely fascinating. But, dude, thanks so much for joining us. Thanks for bringing so many neat ideas to the table. Um, cool stuff you got going on with Bifrost and everything that you're working on as well. Great shout outs there. Um, love talking to you. But that brings another Tech Breakfast podcast to a close. Thanks, everybody, for listening. Hope you enjoyed it. Give us feedback. Let Curtis know you like what he's up to and what he brings to the show because we love to have him on. We hope you do, too. Tell your friends, and we will talk to you on Friday. Peace. Bye, guys.